Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. It was Christmas Eve in 2018, and I sat down in my in-laws' home in Egan, Minnesota, pulled out my laptop, and I just felt like I needed to start writing. So I started typing and composing an email to my friends in the past year who said that they would be willing to start a church with me. I had never planted a church before. This is a whole new thing. Um, the best word is terrifying. Um, I, I'm giving up everything that I am secure with and that I knew. I, I said no to opportunities which there was security and I would have a pathway that I could see forward. And I sat there and I started to type an email because I felt compelled in 2018 to start to dream. And I started to write this email. Dear friends, I dream of our first Christmas Eve. And I sat there in Egan, Minnesota, which is emphatically more cold than here. That's why we live here. And I started to type this email, and I started to pour my heart out. And I said, I dream of this, the first time that we as church family will sing a Christmas carol together. I dream of this opportunity for people in our community to gather together in a new expression of faith, that they feel safe to come, broken as they are, to celebrate Christmas. I dream of, and I kept going on and on about just seeing what our first Christmas Eve service would look like. On December 24th, 2018, I poured my heart into this email and sent it, and I said, I have no idea if this dream is going to come true. I had no idea. We were only six months into thinking about planning a church. And if you're new to church planning, it doesn't start like this. A lot of people are like, oh, when did you have your first service? It doesn't start like that. You've got to actually get things ready, and we have to discuss and learn about discipleship. So it was one year of preparation before we had our first service. And so the first Christmas Eve, if you will, as a church, we were scattered all over the place at different places and different churches. I in Minnesota at that time. And I had a dream. I, I really remember the fear, the trembling, the anxiety of, is this actually going to happen? Is this, am I just making this up, right? It's, it's terrifying when you don't have security. But this is what I did know, and this was the security I had. It was without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, in my wife's mind, as we sat down and we prayed and prayed and prayed that God was asking us to do something, he was asking us to start Mosaic. We didn't know how long. I said, well, if you make it three years, hey, congratulations. I, that's better than most church plans. I didn't know how long it would go. I didn't know if we even make it to Christmas Eve. I just had this dream in my heart that I think that God's calling us. I can feel it. There's something different about this one. There's people who we need to reach that aren't being reached right now. And I wrote that and composed that email. And now all these years later, we're planning Christmas Eve at Aspen Sky. And for many of us, when we start to think about hard, scary things that God calls us to, we tend to clam up. And if God's ever called you to something hard or scary, you know what I'm talking about. 
Uh, for me as a child growing up, if you've heard me speak before, my greatest fear is that God would call me to be a missionary in Africa because we had people, missionaries come to my church who wear clothes I didn't understand and spoke in a language I didn't understand. I'm like, God, please don't send me there. Um, it, better, he sent me to be a pastor of junior high kids. Same difference, right? So, <laughs> you know, when, I, I, when we're called, and when I'm called to something that's bigger and beyond myself, we have this tension that's there because there's this excitement of something's, something new, yet the terror of how is this going to end. And if we're honest about the end point, the end point that we're most afraid of is that we're not going to like it. Really, the adventure part, if you're adventurous, you're like, yeah, give me a new adventure. No problem. You like jumping in. You're an entrepreneur. You love starting new things. You blow stuff up. No problem. For the average person, there's a fear that comes into potentially losing something or, well, what does five to ten years look from now? And this is the beautiful story that I learned in this process of planting is that God doesn't tell you the outcome. When you read the scriptures and when God calls his people to big things, he never tells them how it's going to end. It's that's not the point of it. The point is obedience. And the point of the story is that he's calling his people to be courageous, to take large steps of faith forward, trusting that he is the one who's going to be in control and trusting that whether you like it or don't like it, he is still there and that he is good. God has called us to be obedient. And obedience takes courage. It takes bravery. And we get into the Christmas season, and we're starting this new series called Mary's Christmas. One of the things I found fascinating as I started to process, what do we want to talk about this Christmas, is that we never talk about Mary and how unbelievably brave she was. We always jump to, angel tells her you're going to have a baby. Cool, we're in a manger. Like, it's just like, boom, we get all the way there. And we skip the bravery of Mary, because what Mary had to do and her response, as we explore today, is probably not how you would respond, and it wasn't my response when God called me to something big. We're going to take a look at what that means today. So today's scripture in our passage is Luke chapter 1, we'll be in 26 to 38. Luke 1, 26 to 38. If you are new to scripture reading or newer, uh, Luke is a fantastic way to read the Christmas narrative. Uh, many times you'll hear Luke 2 quoted, uh, and that's where we get uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas. He's quoting Luke. Uh, great uh, version and uh, account of what's happening at the Christmas season. So if you're looking to study that during the next couple of weeks, Luke is a great book to do that. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38 says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to the town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Passage begins with identifying Mary in not a normal way. Mary is a virgin. So we start out this whole idea, this whole concept of this young lady that she hasn't been with anybody. And then the next thing we see is that her cousin, Elizabeth, is six months pregnant. So six months pregnant, Elizabeth, if we know her backstory in the passage before in Luke 1, is that her husband, Zechariah, is a priest in the temple. An angel appears to Zechariah and says, here's what's going to happen. You are going to have a child. And he's like, how are we going to have a child? Like, we're super old. And my wife has no time ever been able. She's barren. She's unable to have children. And he did not believe the angel. He's like, there's no way. There's no way this is going to happen. And so the angel then strikes him mute. He's unable to speak until the child is born. We find out in the scriptures that this is John the Baptist. So now John the Baptist is in the womb with Elizabeth to parents who are older, who are unable to have children. So a miracle is happening because of God. At the same time now, an angel appears to Mary and says, hey, another miracle is about to happen. You are a virgin, and you are going to have a child. Both are quite shocking. But Mary's response is completely counter to Zechariah's. And when she's like, in our terminology, okay, cool. What? Let's just process all this for a second because this passage is so emphatically rich with so many things in here that we are missing really what's being able to be said. First, she's identified by her her virginity. We know this part of her story. We've heard about it. It's in our songs. And we understand that she has not yet been with a man. The next is the relationship to Joseph. And this is very, very important. Joseph, who she's betrothed to, uh, has not slept with her. It has not been with her. And he is in the line of David. For us who are not really sure what that means, King David in the Old Testament is the line of kings. It was very, very good to be in the line of David because for this culture, your name and your lineage was everything. Name and lineage is everything. If you can trace yourself back to someone who's important, there's great honor in that. So for us, let's say, if you could trace back your lineage all the way to George Washington, you'd be pretty cool, right? Like, oh, my great, 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 great grandma's George Washington. This is even greater than that because David is considered the greatest king of all time in Israel. So the lineage of Joseph now, he is in the line of David, the line of kings. And Mary is a nobody, She has no lineage, she has no name, she has no line, and she has no husband. Now, something that you may or may not know about Mary is historians believe her to be anywhere about 13-ish, 14 years old, okay? So in our terms, she's a tween. She's a tween. In their culture, she's becoming a woman. They would bear children at an earlier age. If you know Jewish culture back in that time, things looked a little different than our United States culture. But there was a tween, regardless, she's still a teen. And as a teen, she says, I have not been with anyone, but yet you're telling me, angel, that I'm going to have a child that's going to be a king. How can that be? I haven't been with anybody, and I haven't been with Joseph. 
That's something to take note there. Because when she's being told by the angels she's going to have a king, her first thought process is going to move to the lineage of David and that a king is going to come through his line, which means if I'm going to have a child, it's not from me. I'm a nobody. I'm a 13-ish year old nobody. I have no name. I have no lineage. I have nothing. And in that culture, as a young woman, unless you were married, you're kind of on the outskirts. So you needed that line and that family to be able to move forward. So she is like, I'm nobody. How is a child I'm going to have going to be a king? Because I haven't been with anybody, let alone my boy Joseph. And so this thought process of Mary, which we don't really see unless we understand the history of what's going on in that culture, can be lost at Christmas because we put, we put Mary in the middle of the nativity holding a baby and smiling with the halo around her head, but she was really a nobody. And one of the things that is just fascinating is that she says, the angel says, God's favor is upon you. Now, going back into this, Mary says I'm, she's greatly troubled by these words that this person says to her. Now, this is not fact. I, I just warn you, not fact. This is just what I think. So theologian Jason thinks this. In scriptures, when people are confronted by an angelic being or the Lord or anything that's a heavenly being, people freak out. They fall to the ground. They're shaking. They're nervous. Usually there's a glowing light. They're super bright. Something is off about them. So that's, it's terrifying. So they, they don't know what this being is because it's not in their culture and they haven't seen anything. There were no deep fakes back then. So this angel appears to Mary, but it doesn't say that she trembled and fell to the ground. She just said that she was troubled by the words. So I, I sit back and say, okay, whenever we see these things happening, we can assume that Gabriel came in a form that did not scare her because the words scared her. Listen to this again. She is troubled by the words, not by what he looked like. So this back into our verse here. It says this. Angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And it says, verse 29, Mary was, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Hello. Hey, Mary. You are highly favored by God, and God is with you. And that scared her. I wonder why. Why would those words be frightening? Would you be frightened if, I, if some random stranger came up to you and says, Greetings, John. The Lord is with you, and you're highly favored. It's kind of, and she says, it's an odd greeting. Like, why are you greeting like this? I, I don't know you. Now, this is my own theological Jason mind. Have you been around teenagers lately? If you've been around teenagers lately, the thing that they love to do is called side-eyeing you, side-eyeing. So they will side-eye, which is they'll look to the side, look to you like, whatever, right? That's a side-eye, kind of like this, ew, creep, get away, I don't know you. Now, I'm not saying Mary side-eyed. But in this version of this, she, I can see her stepping back and saying, what are you saying to me? I don't know you. There was still danger for women at that time. There was still people who were bad, doing bad things to people. And this person comes up to her. There's fear not in the appearance or in the presence of this angel, of Gabriel, but instead what he says to her, she's like, what are you saying to me? And he goes on and says, don't be afraid, Mary. You're afraid. Don't you understand that God's favor is on you? God's favor God has placed his joy and favor on you. 
that would be awesome. Like, if you think about it, if you say God's favors upon you and you have to kind of process, that was a lot to process. And remember, this is a young girl. A young girl who says, God's favor is now upon me. Do not be afraid because I'm going to tell you something that's going to be pretty intense. I understand that you're a nobody. I understand that you have no lineage, but God's favor is upon you and amazing things are going to happen. You're a local nobody, but God sees you as something great. Listen to this quote here from John Carroll in the book, uh, Luke, a commentary says this. Ironically, while she's waiting to gain in ascribed honor by marriage into a household that stands in David's line, she learns from a divine messenger that her status reversal will come instead from her identity of her son and from God's choice and initiative. Mary is waiting on Joseph, the one that's going to make her something, but her something doesn't come from her marriage. Her something comes from God's favor, and the fact he chose her to do something even greater than she could imagine. You don't think of Christmas this way. And then the response, which is absolutely fascinating, and she's like, okay, what? Who says okay to this? She's like, may your words to me be fulfilled, and the angel left her. May your words be fulfilled. Let this come to pass. I'm accepting this role, and she is a nobody. Hearing that God's favors on her, her love of God is so great that she says, I will do anything. Okay. Now, I shared with you I've been in hard, sticky situations. I've been in those places where God has called me to big things, and my response has always been no. You should plant a church. My first response, no. When God calls me to something, I do not have the faith of a 13-year-old Mary. I am a childish baby that says no. And I'm like, God, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be in a situation where I don't know the outcome. God, you may not know me, but I have a 1, 3, 5, 10-year plan. Let me tell you how this goes. In one year, I'll be here. In three years, in five years, in 10 years. And this is how 10 years look. I'm really wealthy, and I'm just financially awesome, and I'm good to go. In my 1, 3, 5, 10, I've produced a pathway in which my career will explode and move forward the way that I choose it to be. If you guys did not know, all of my experience before planting has been in large church. I grew up, my ministry grew up in a mega church. And so my dream when I came up was to be the next cool guy on TV, writing books and being famous. That was my dream. And God blew it all up because my dream was stupid. My dream didn't even ask God what he wanted for me. My dream had to do with my dream, and my dream and my goal and my 1, 3, 5, 10 plan led me to a place where I'm on a throne and God is on the floor watching me. That was my plan. And instead of asking God, hey, what do you think about my 1, 3, 5, 10 plan? I wrote it all down, and I had all my goals and how I'm going to get there, and I'm super over, like, don't, don't make fun of me. I'm nerdy like that. But this is what I wanted to do. And when church planting came on December of 2018, I blew up all 1, 3, 5, 10 plans and opened my hand and said, God, I'll do whatever you want. And I think from Mary's story, it's not just for her. It's for all of us. 
Because in our plans and our goals and our ambitions, we think, I'm not good enough. I'm a nobody. But Mary was a nobody. We think, God, how am I going to put into your story? How am I put into the plan of what you're doing? All we have to do is obey and have open hands. Now, I am so thankful that God is so gracious with a knucklehead like me who says no all the way, all the times, and has patience with me. Because when there's a calling, my first gut reaction is, I don't want to. Maybe you can relate with that. And then I sit on it for a while and I pray on it. It's how I started ministry. When I was uh, first starting out, my undergrad was sports medicine, and I was, really had this goal of making one three five ten plan. I had a goal of making the NFL or MLB. I was going to be on the sideline in their sports medicine department. Big dreams, big goals, calling different places, blah, blah, blah. Then the church we were at said, hey, Jason, you should come be our junior high youth pastor. My response was? No. Emphatically no. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. And this was a year. They kept asking. I kept saying no. And then one time in pillow talk with my wife, she leans over and says, have you been praying about this? And my answer was? No. No, I'm not praying about this. I don't want this. It doesn't fit my 13510 plan. I'm here today because God had a different plan. And I prayed, and as I prayed, I'm like, ooh, I think this is supposed to happen. And I started to listen to the story, and I started praying more, and I started watching. I'm like, I think we're supposed to do this. And I had no idea I was going to plant a church. I had no idea where this was going to lead. I remember being a a youth pastor in the church, and and some of our well-meaning, God bless them, people, would come up to me and said, hey, when are you going to be a real pastor? I said, I don't know. I thought I was. You know, I didn't know. I had no dreams. I, I, I thought I had a one, three, five. I'm like, this is kind of rocking my socks a little bit here. I'm a nobody. Who am I to be a pastor? I'm a, I'm a certified athletic trainer working in physical therapy. Why in the world would you call me to do this? And then through the course of God working, 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 you would think since that time when God calls me to big things, I would say yes. But every time God calls me to a big thing, my first response is, no. Oh, my word, what a knucklehead. Here, a 13-year-old girl over 2,000 years ago said yes. He said, you're a virgin, but you're going to have a kid. Have you ever thought about the weight of what that meant? That as she's troubled in this greeting with him, and he says that you are going to have a son and the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and you're going to conceive a child. And this child is going to be the son of God and you are going to be on a completely different trajectory than you ever imagined. Have you considered that Mary at that moment could have lost everything? Because if Joseph said no, 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 no. There is no divine conception, Mary. What have you been doing? It's not me, so who is it? And as we know the story of Joseph, his first response is, hey, uh, I'm sorry, but I'm going to quietly end this relationship. I don't want to shame you. I'm going to quietly end this relationship because this can't happen. But an angel comes to Joseph and says, no, Joseph, like she's legit. This This is real. And Joseph says yes. There's something about the people of God that he calls us to hard things. And those hard things have to be matched up with our obedience. And those hard things and obedience, as they come together, 
we start to see miraculous things happen. We ask the question, God, why aren't you doing miraculous things in our lives? And my question is, are you saying yes to the things he's calling you to? Because maybe things aren't happening because you keep saying no. What if bigger things can happen? What if God has a story for you so much greater that if they were writing a book of the Bible in 2023, that you would be part of the story? What if? But because we are always saying no and we're disobedient and we keep saying, I just want to be safe and do what I want. I want to live my safe life the safe way. I want my 13510 plan. God, you can't. You're not invited into this. So he says, okay. But what if there's something greater? Now, I'm not suggesting a virgin birth. I'm not suggesting that. What I am suggesting is this. What if God's calling you to a journey of ministry, life, new movement, something new for you, but you can't hear it because you're closed? What if from Mary's story that this young girl who said, you are going to have the Son of God as your child, you have favor with God, some amazing things are going to happen through you, your son is going to be king of Israel because the lineage of Joseph, he gets adopted into that because Joseph is going to be his earth dad. But then at the same time, your son is going to be the king of the universe because it's going to come from God. His spirit is from God. And so you get to be a part of a story which will be talked about for all of eternity that you, Mary, are going to bring the Son of God to earth and you get to be his mom. And he's going to be king of Israel. He's going to be king of the universe. And this is greater than you could ever imagine. I wonder if there's even like a small portion of that story that we're holding back in our own lives. John, I'm telling you right now, if you understood what I could do through your workplace, if you would listen to me and obey me, there are people who are hurting and broken in your workplace right now. When you go on Monday, you can change people's lives if you would stop sticking your head in the computer and not talking about me. Susan, you have great friends. You are in a circle of moms that are in your community. You have an opportunity to bring life because their lives are broken. There's no light. They don't know me. But you, Susan, can change the lives of not only these women, but their children and their children's children. And generations can be transformed if you say yes. Do you ever think you're part of a story like that, bigger than yourself? But it takes courage. It takes courage. It takes courage to go outside of ourselves because Mary's response of may your word to me be fulfilled is a fancy way of saying, I'll do whatever you want, okay? Whose faith today is strong enough to say that? Now, if you don't feel like your faith is there, welcome to the club because my answer is always... You think I would learn. My faith is so small that when things come, I'm always like, no, no, no. Now, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm so thankful. God just sticks with me. And he's like, I, okay, okay, I got you, Jason. Your answer is going to be yes. You just don't know it yet, right? <laughs> is your faith struggling with that? Welcome to the club because most of us are. But today's message gives us a beautiful example and a beautiful imagery of Christmas time of a young girl 
whose courage we can look at and say, yes. She said, yes. She said yes to seemingly insane properties. A virgin is going to have a child. Your child's going to be king. And this king is not just of the earth, but of the universe. You are going to be very important in this story. And now, did she know where this story was going? Nope. Did she know her son was going to die on a cross 30-some years later? Nope. Did she know that he was going to bring disciples? Nope. We all know Mary, did you know song, right? I won't sing it for you today. We all know the song. She didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't know. She had a child, but I, I can imagine that she held Jesus. What that felt like? As she sat there as a young mom, and she held her son, she looked at Joseph, and she's like, this is amazing. Because the yes does things we can't even dream about. As she held Jesus in her arms and looked at him, and moms, you know this. There's a special connection with moms and their babies, right? Dads, we just, we're just cheerleaders in the room, right? So she looks at her baby knowing that this was someone that an angel came to her and says, this is going to be the king of the universe and the king of Israel. You're significant because of the lineage of God. Don't worry about this stuff. The lineage that God has for you, this child is going to change the world. She holds her baby. My response would be, who am I? Because when my tension points in my life of obedience of God to the day now as we plan all these years later, a Christmas Eve service, I'm like, who am I? Who am I that you would ask me to do this? Who am I? All those years ago, you took me out of the medical field and moved me into junior high ministry, seemingly a downgrade. It was never a downgrade because God did miraculous things. I've watched God do crazy things over 20-some years of ministry. And I'm like, who am I to get to watch the story of God keep moving forward? Who am I? I'm a nobody. That's exactly how you should feel because we are just nobodies. We're important and special and precious because of what God does in us and through us. So just like Mary, if you feel you're insignificant or not good enough for God's story, welcome to the club. Those are the people God uses. And then he takes those seemingly insignificant people, transforms them to say, I want to do miraculous things through you, but will you obey me? Will you obey? Mary, in this amazing story, holds her child and has this imagery. She had to be thinking through all this stuff that happens, right? There's so many things going on. As we get through the Christmas story, we'll hear more and more that this young girl had to work through and process in her Christmas story. Moms, would you go back to that moment when this person walks up to you and says, greetings, God's favors upon you, and starts to tell this story about how you're going to be the mom of the king of the universe, the son of God's going to come, the Messiah, the chosen one, is going to come through you, and this baby that you're about to have is more significant than you'll ever know, and your name will be greater. You're not in the line of David, Mary. It's bigger than that. This is, this is going to change everything. And all these years later, God has come. Jesus has come. He has died. He has sacrificed for every single one of 
us who will simply obey and call on his name as Savior. And those who call him as Savior are now part of a story bigger than ourselves that you get to be a part of. This isn't a religion that we go to and do. This is a story of God and the movement of humanity that we get to be a part of. And in that movement and in that story, he's calling every single one of you to something greater than yourself. The question today is, what is it? What is God calling you to today that's greater than yourself in his story? And the second question, do you have the courage to say yes? Don't be like me. When God calls you to something, say yes. It's so much easier. Because when you say no, he's got to get you to yes, and that part hurts. Say yes. Say yes when God calls you to something big and miraculous. Say yes to being part of his story. Say yes to the miracle of being in a journey, which I don't understand how this all works and intertwines, but I know this. It's good. We are not going to know the outcome. You are not going to have your 1, 3, 5, 10 plan, but... God will show you your next step every step of the way when we say yes. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.